Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to, uh, we're going to start at Psalm 118. <clears throat> My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. I'm blessed to open the Word of God with you. Bible study students, if you've been part of the Friday Bible study, your books are in. If you know what, you're ta- what I'm talking about, then you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. Um, if you were there last week, Friday, uh, two weeks ago, Friday, and you had the Bible study with us, and we talked about a special book that was recommended. Um, it is in and ready to go, and I have them waiting for you in the copy room. So after church, you can grab me, and we'll get them to you. Suzanne does not know they're in the copy room. So if you go find Suzanne, you're like, where's the book? She's not going to know what you're talking about. And she's going to say they're on Stephen's desk. They're not on Stephen's desk. They're in the copy room, and we've got them, and they're just uh, for you to read, and they're a blessing. So if you know what I'm talking about, great. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it, because the next Bible study will start... Uh, here next month. Friday is 10 a.m. It's going to be awesome. Psalm 118. We've been looking at a series here on seeking God. And as we've been doing that, we've been looking back and forth between 2 Kings and Elijah and Elisha, and then also uh, John the Baptist and Jesus in the Gospels in the book of John. So today is Palm Sunday. We're going to look at the triumphal entry and actually what Palm Sunday is about and how that worked and what what was happening in that Bible story. But to do that for some context, we're going to start with Psalm 118. Is there anybody who would like to read Psalm 118? Okay, go for it. Um, We're going to read through verse 26. Praise the Lord for his word. Thank you, Jeff. Great job. 
Praise the Lord for his word. When I was a little kid, uh, we used to sing a song. Could you, could you in your mind hear a bunch of the church songs from that psalm? Just pouring through. Yeah, there's like three or four of them that we used to sing and still sing today, and they're great. And uh, when I was a little kid, there used to be a song, and it said, The Lord reigneth, the Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice, let the earth rejoice. Okay, that one. Great song. So I, as a child, heard that song, and I assumed that the words that were in there was a word like amen or a word like hallelujah that I didn't really know what it meant. And so I sang, the Lord raven, the Lord raven, let the earth reach. And I would get into it, and it was awesome. Um, I don't know what the Lord raven meant. I knew he wasn't a raven, and I knew he wasn't flying in the air, but I just, I figured it was one of those words that I didn't know what it was. And so I, I man, I sang there was another song that said, uh, I have a destiny and a city on a hill. That one? And so I used to sing, I have a destiny and it's sitting on a hill. And I need to go find it. Um, and so one day we're driving in the car and I'm singing the worship songs. And my dad turned off the radio and he kind of looked back at me. He's like, what, what did you say? It's the Lord, the Lord Raven. He goes, okay, what else did you say? Destiny, it's sitting on a hill. He goes, which hill? I said, I don't know. That's the whole song. You've got to find it. You've got to figure it out. <laughs> so Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. And he's going to come into Jerusalem. He has raised Lazarus from the dead, which is amazing. His friend Lazarus was dead days in a tomb. And Jesus comes, calls out to him. Lazarus comes to life and comes out bound in all the bandages that they used to bandage him up for the burial. He's alive. He lives two miles from Jerusalem. Everybody knows this family. They're kind of a big family somehow. And so people have heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so great crowds are already wondering, prior to what we're going to read in a minute, whether or not Jesus will come to this big feast of the Passover at Jerusalem. Everybody's going to be there. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are out uh, of the day, are trying to kill Jesus and arrest him. And so it's a big scandalous news story right now, bigger than Will Smith and slaps, on whether or not uh, Jesus is going to come to Jerusalem. But everybody wants to see Jesus, and they especially want to see him with Lazarus, because not very often somebody gets raised from the dead. And with a lot of witnesses and people bearing witness about it, it's a big deal. And so we're going to read in this story what uh, in, the, in the word of God, what Jesus does. Let's start in chapter 12 of John. If you'll turn to John with me, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 12 in the New Testament. <clears throat> and we're going to start at verse 9. 12, 9, just for that context we just said, because it's important. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So Lazarus is a marked man, and Jesus is a marked man. And the coming into the story of the triumphal entry is this context of not great things happening, actually. Not great things happening. So let's read Jesus coming in, and we're going to start in John 12, verse 12. Here's what it says. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast and had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches off of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! 
Blessed be is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things that had been written about him and what had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In other words, he's super popular. Everybody loves Jesus. That means they don't love us. we got to kill this guy. That's what they're talking about. Praise the Lord for his word. Okay, we're going to continue on. If, you, if you've noticed, I like the little chunks as we go so we know what we're talking about. So this word Hosanna, for me growing up, was like the Lord Raven. Or I have a destiny sitting on a hill. It's just one of those church words that you never really know what it is. And so I was very unsure of it. And um, it's one of those things that somebody in church is going to shout out. You know, they're going to, Hosanna! And like, oh, yeah, hmm, Hosanna. Whatever that means. Um, I imagined it was something to do with the hose and the grace of the Lord shooting. I don't know. We're going <laughs> to... The Lord is anointing people with a Hosanna. I, that was what I thought it was. But that's in fact not what it was. And Psalm 118 that Jeff read for us in verse 16, uh, verse 25, says this. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. In Hebrew, it's Ana Yahweh. Hosanna. And that Hosanna comes from this verse in Psalm 118. And it's the verb save us. So in a very, very literal translation of Psalm 125, Psalm 118, verse 25 from the Hebrew is, I pray to you, the covenant God, by your name. Yahweh has so much to it. It's, it's his name. So it's, there's a lot there. So I pray, Anna, Yahweh, to you, the covenant God, the one who we know your name, and I call on your name, and then Hosanna is, is save us, and Na is now. Save us now. Save us, Lord. And so this is the cry. What's incredible about Psalm 118, which is um, we're not 100% sure who wrote this psalm, but most likely it was maybe the prophet Nathan writing it for David. This was written a 1,000 years before Jesus is writing into Jerusalem. And if you notice, he's he's prophesying while he's praying. And did you notice in the psalm, there's elements that you can hear now that you know the Hosanna link. What else is in that psalm that makes you think of Jesus? He's the cornerstone rejected by men. And suddenly you just, your mind races to Jesus, doesn't it? Because really Nathan is saying this psalm, he's singing this song to God, but he's really prophesying. Listen to how it goes on after verse 26. The Lord is God he, he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. 
But isn't it interesting to pray, save us, O Lord, save us. With you is success. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And then immediately to this idea of sacrifice. Immediately, the sacrifice is bound to the horns of the altar. Where is that coming from? I think Nathan's prophesying about Jesus. He doesn't even know it. And, but he's just in the spirit. And he's just communing with the Lord. He's writing the song and it just floods out of him. Isn't that how it happens sometimes? That the Lord just, you're praying and you're thinking and you're praying about the stinking water bill that's due that you forgot to pay and is past due. And you're like, oh, how did that happen? And you're all frustrated about it. And then you're praying. And all of a sudden you find yourself praying about Uzbekistan. And Christian's there and you're like, what happened to me? And sometimes it's like the Lord just lifts your thoughts away from these things. And all of a sudden you're just praying about something different. I think this is what Nathan's happening. He's writing the song and he's, he's writing about the faithfulness of God. And the Holy Spirit's just, just touching to his mind about these other great things that are coming. This one that's coming, Jesus Christ. How incredible. So John chapter 12, here comes Jesus. And he's coming into the crowd. He's coming into Jerusalem, which is the capital city. And Jerusalem's a big deal because this is where the king is supposed to be. This is the temple. This is the capital place of, of Israel. But what's going on in this time? It's important to remember the context. And what's going on is this is a subjugated nation. So this is not just freedom in the streets and we can have a parade. Uh, have you ever been to a parade and it's kind of disappointing? Um, I used to go every year. And, um, and I just beg your forgiveness already, Lisa, but we used to go every year with Lisa's family to the 4th of July parade in O'Fallon, Missouri. And um, it's just not the greatest parade, let's be honest. And if you've got five kids in tow and they're little and you're just trying to keep them from getting run over by the Shriners, that's like the whole goal here, it, it's, it's a little difficult. One year, in fact, we were at the parade and we're like right on the street, kids are watching, finally the marching band comes, we're like, yes, marching band, this is great. And they walked up in front of us, right directly in front of us. We're like, oh, they're stopping. This is going to be great. And they stopped. And the director of the band said, everybody take a break. Take a break. It's so hot. Take a break and drink some water. Oh, just we're almost there. The finish line is there. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Give me some water. And literally, they just sat there for a second, yelling and drinking water. And no songs, no nothing. And Greg. God bless him, was a band director. He, I, Greg, he almost like jumped out of his skin. He's watching, like, play something. Play something. <laughs> Work through the heat. What is he doing? I was like, Greg, I think they're just taking a break. Play something. He was, I was, it was awful. He goes, this is not a real marching band. You're not a real marching band. He was very, <laughs> he was angry. <laughs> Sometimes parades can be disappointing. This parade is very exciting. Why are the people there? They're there because they want to see Jesus, but they're there because something miraculous happened recently. They want to see Lazarus. Also, there's a lot of publicity about this, some good, some bad. So people are believing. Do you believe in Jesus? He raised Lazarus. I talked to Lazarus yesterday. I was at his funeral. He's alive. You got to believe in Jesus. And other people are like, do you hear about Jesus? He's, he's, he's probably dead. He's got a, like a mark on him or something. I hear they're out to get Lazarus now, too. Stay away from Lazarus. You don't want to be collateral damage. These are the stories that are going around. And it's such a dichotomy, but people are either following after and seeking Jesus, or they are avoiding him, or just watching from a distance. 
But either way, something overtakes them. And that something that overtakes them, really, it's like Nathan writing that psalm. And he just, something happens to him as the Lord opens his eyes. The people, something happens to them, and their eyes are opened, and they run and grab these palm branches. Why do you think they would get palm branches? Well, they're everywhere, right? So it's easy to find. But also, in the Feast of Booths, which is coming up in like two months from this time, the Feast of Booths, they would take these palm branches, and they would make little huts and, and little tents and stuff out of them and live in them to remember when, they, when these Israelites were saved from slavery in Egypt, they came into the wilderness and they set up these little tents and they were wandering in the wilderness, but they were delivered from slavery. The salvation of God, the symbol of that salvation was palm branches. And so now the people are shouting out, save us, God, from Psalm 118. Save us, Hosanna, save us. And they're waving the symbol of that salvation from slavery. Why would they do that if the Holy Spirit hadn't grabbed them up? Because not only are they saying that, but what more are they saying? They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, straight from Psalm 118, even the king of Israel. This something has happened in them that they're shouting out in mass. What would it have been like if all the people had just there said, we will follow Jesus? instead of one week later saying, we have no king but Caesar. What would it have been like if they said, Lord, we turn to you instead of, we will not have this man rule over us. And yet somehow in the celebration of this moment, they're crying out, even the king of Israel. Then Jesus comes and he's almost disappointing. Almost disappointing. It's disappointing in the sense that when you're standing in the parade and you see the marching band go by and, wow, this is great, and then you hear something rumbling, you're like, oh, this is going to be, it's the Corvette Club. How cool is this? The Corvette Club coming. This is going to be, they're going to be so awesome because there's Corvettes. Corvettes are the coolest. And then the Corvettes come, and there's only three. And it's in 1984 and in 1987. The 80s were not a great year for the Corvettes, and a 2002. And you're like, and my little niece is standing there on the side, and she sees the Corvettes come, and she's like, and she yells, do a burnout! Because <laughs> something's got to happen, right? You know what a burnout is? Make the tires squeal, make all the rubber go, and the smoke go everywhere. She yells that because her dad's a mechanic, and she yells, do a burnout. And he's like, yeah, honey, you tell him. And the Corvette guys are like, no, tires are expensive. Man, they are expensive too, by the way. Don't, yeah, tires. Anyway, kind of disappointing. But here's the people. They're not disappointed when they see Jesus. They're elated, elated at seeing him. Do you know why? Because he's the king of glory. And you see a little snapshot of it. They're waving the palm branches, these symbols of salvation. They're crying out to Jesus. And he comes not in a way that people expect. What would you expect if you saw a king coming down the road, a white steed and armor? You expect to see attendants with him. You expect something out of Aladdin with the genie flying around and his money and he's got 10,000 whatever gilded horses and I don't know, whatever the song is. And so that, that's what you expect though, don't you? It's going to be like that. 
And this great prince of glory will come and he's riding on, you know, forget the horse, the elephant like in Aladdin. It'll be amazing. Instead, Jesus comes humbly as a servant riding on a baby donkey. A baby donkey, which has not even been trained. So the fact that he can ride it like he does is miraculous in itself. But he's riding as a servant into the town that he rightfully owns. It's incredible. And his disciples really don't understand this until they later on remember all the things that have been said about him and that he's fulfilled all the prophecies so that we would know he is the one that God has sent. You know, what's really funny about this story is sometimes God's plan and salvation does not, exp- it does not meet our expectation. Sometimes God's plan and his salvation, he does in a way that comes that we could almost miss it if we don't see it fully. God's plan is salvation comes sometimes in such a way and in such faithfulness that sometimes if our eyes aren't really opened and really anytime if our eyes aren't opened by the Holy Spirit, we cannot even recognize it. You know, I, uh, I was pondering this and thinking about Psalm 118 and it's amazing to me that when Nathan the prophet or whoever wrote Psalm 118, when he cried out to God, save us God, You know, a thousand years before Jesus came, God answered his prayer right then. Right when he said, Lord, save us. Hosanna. Yahweh, Hosanna. Save us now, God. And the Lord said, yes. And a thousand years passed before the salvation of God rode into the capital city where Nathan works on a baby donkey. God's plan sometimes doesn't match our expectation of what we think is going to happen. Let's read on in the story. Verse 20. This is John chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went together. And told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, The Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk 
while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Praise the Lord. What an interesting exchange this is. Now let's say for a moment that you're Philip and you have just witnessed Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead a couple weeks ago. Amazing. And at that time, you had joined with the other disciples as brothers saying, probably we're all going to be killed. So let's go to Jerusalem. We're going to die with Jesus. Instead, Jesus raises somebody from the dead. Then Jesus sort of runs away. And not running away like he's scared, but he retreats again to have some time with the disciples. And during that time now, people who care for you have come to you and said, hey, by the way, don't go back to Jerusalem. They're going to kill Jesus. And you will get killed too, surely, because you're like an underling. It doesn't matter. Don't go back to Jerusalem. Then this great festival comes up, and everybody's wondering, is Jesus going to come? we got to see Lazarus. This is amazing. Slash, some of the people are wondering when he's going to come so they can let the Pharisees know because they're going to follow through with these plans. And the Pharisees are seething about this. Not only that, but the guy who lives two miles away from the festival, who's alive now, who used to be dead, Lazarus, he's marked for death because we can't let that guy live. This is not going well for us, for the Pharisees. So now you're Philip, you're watching, and you come to Jerusalem, and you're like, well, either it's, he's going to be king or we're all going to die because this is going to be, something's going to happen here. Let's go back to Jerusalem. So you go with Jesus and you come in, and as you come to the town, the people are chanting, and you're like, oh, my, this is it. They're going to kill us all. They're going to kill us all. And then as you get closer, Jesus says, hey, go find a donkey for me. And you're like, oh, okay. So you go find the donkey, you bring it over to him, and people are running out, throwing their clothes down on the ground in front of the donkey. They're waving these branches that are the symbol of salvation. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting the psalm, and they're declaring that Jesus is the king. And Jesus gets on this donkey that miraculously was supplied for him. It doesn't buck him off. He starts riding over people's clothes. He starts riding while they're shouting praises to God and singing and palm branches, and it's amazing. And if you're Philip, you think, we made it, finally. Not only do you think this was a good meeting, you think, God is so faithful. The, f the faithfulness, the steadfast love of God, it never fails. And now Jesus, he's going to be installed king. This is working out. And then some Greek people come. Remember, you're a subjugated nation. So while Jesus is riding in on the donkey, you're not only watching the Pharisees, you're also watching the centurion over there. Because the people are shouting that there's a king in Israel. That usually is a death sentence. That they didn't move. And now the Greeks have showed up. This could mean an alliance. This could mean help. This could mean military partnerships. This could mean weapons because we have none. Because the Romans will destroy us. This could mean something. Maybe we could never fight the Romans alone, but maybe... Maybe with the Greeks, maybe we got a chance. I never thought God would do it this way. This is amazing. Okay, guys, what are we going to do? So he goes to find Andrew. Andrew, the Greeks are here. What do, we, what do we do? 
and both of them together, Jesus, the, the Greeks are here. What? Let's talk to them. And Jesus, it doesn't even say he talks to them. What does he say? He says, unless, unless the grain falls to the ground and dies, no fruit will be born. What? what? And then he says, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay, that sounds pretty decent. Like, we're going to get honored. That's good. I like the honored part. Then he says his soul is troubled. And he's the son of man. He's already told them that he's the son of man. He's going to be lifted up. And an angel speaks from heaven. The voice of God comes down. That God's going to glorify his name and will continue to do so again. What's that about? And then Jesus is talking about basically he's going to die. And it's for this reason that he's come into the world. Could you imagine for a minute being Peter and Andrew or Philip and Andrew standing there? The Greek guys standing there? What? What are you talking about? And see, here's an interesting thing is there's this idea of what success looks like, what the answered prayer looks like. Because for Philip, it looked like the salvation of God was the parade. The parade is it. The parade is showing. Now, it looks like God's salvation's come. This is finally, it's happening. This is so perfect. And the reality is God's plan of salvation is so much bigger that God is going to glorify his name, not just for the people in Jerusalem, but he's going to encompass the whole world. He's kicking out the evil one from the whole world. His salvation is going to encompass everything. And he says, it's for this reason that I've come. What is the reason that he's come? To be lifted up telling of the death that he's going to have. You see, Jesus' whole purpose wasn't just to come and have what we think earthly success looks like. It's not just to come and show what we think the answered prayer should look like. Instead, it's that Jesus would come for one purpose, and that one purpose was to die for his people. And the disciples are looking at him like, how can this be? And they won't fully understand until later that he who is God is fully just and true to everything that he said. And if he said that the wages of sin is death, the only way that sin can be dealt with is someone has to die. And there's no one, there's no champion, there's no king, there's no salvation from God, there's no one anywhere that we can find except for God himself who could really take such a punishment. Because there's no person, even Lazarus, who is alive standing there. He didn't defeat death. Jesus called him out of the tomb. So there's nobody who can take that punishment. There's nobody who's ever been able to live perfectly. And now God's own son has come for this purpose. Not to find earthly success not to find pseudo answers to the prayers of God's faithfulness from even a thousand years ago, but to be the one who will be our salvation. And he does this by dying a traitor's death on the cross. And God's plan of salvation that he answered yes to even a thousand years ago in Nathan's prayer is answered not just by Jesus riding on a donkey, not by the parade, not by what we think is good, but by the death of the perfect righteous one.
Sometimes God's salvation plan does not meet our expectation. But if he hadn't died, if the people had just turned and said, Lord, we repent, there really wouldn't be any salvation from sin. Somebody still has to die. And you see, God's plan was so perfect and so much bigger than our expectation, so much better than we could hope, that so really complete in all he's done, that without Jesus, we have no hope. But in him, it's all the hope of glory. In him is life and life eternal. In him, we know all peace. We know joy. We know righteousness. We know God because of what he's done. What a good God we serve. This is what Jesus said. He said, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. What are you believing in? Are you believing in an answer to prayer that you've dreamed up or an expectation that you think is going to happen? Or are you believing in him? The question for us through this passage is not just crying out Hosanna and saying, Lord, save us. His salvation has come in Jesus. This passage teaches us that we need to reach out to God and believe in him because he is our salvation. You see, God's salvation comes in unexpected ways. Even Judy's testimony this morning, which was totally impromptu, it comes in unexpected ways that God does. But isn't it a funny human proclivity to hold on to what we think the expectation is going to be? And then what happens is we get bitter because it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen. And the call today is to drop all those things and instead just believe in Jesus because he is good and God's plan is so much bigger and eternal and perfect and beyond all of our expectations. So that everything that's weighing us down, all the things that are over our heart, all the things that we're hoping God will do in our lives, all the things we want to accomplish for him, why are we looking for a parade that will disappoint us instead of looking just for Jesus who will never disappoint because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose to life again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He is God eternal. He's alive. He's with us by his spirit. He's leading us. He's using us. He's over all things. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. There is nobody like Jesus. And the parade of him coming back is so much better than the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The parade of him coming back will defy all our expectations because he is so big and so glorious and so mighty. And yet, our expectation of what God's love looks like so often rests on the water bill. It so often rests on, well, I look dumb in front of my neighbor, so I guess God doesn't love me. It rests so much on what the Facebook feeds say, instead of just knowing Jesus. It's so much better. He's so much better. So what do we do? How do we believe in him and walk in the light and be sons of the light? The first thing that we need to do is we need to trust. Believe with your whole heart. I love the evangelism explosion back in the day. It had such a great little uh, illustration of what faith really is. It's like sitting in a chair. So we're, you're sitting in chairs right now, and you're trusting that the chair is going to hold you up. That you don't have to try to use your feet and your hands to balance yourself so that the chair doesn't fall. Because you know you've leaned your whole weight on the chair, and it can support you. Do you love Jesus like that? Or do you feel like you still have to hold on to something? All right, Lord, I, yep, as long as I got this, 
I'm, I'm with you. Long as I can hold on here, long as this stays solid, then we're good. What are you resting on? Are you trusting him like you trust the chair? Or do you have your weight shifted somewhere else? Are you keeping your feet planted? Are you trying to balance yourself over different lives? Trust him with your whole heart. What does that look like? It looks like saying, Lord, I know that I can't save myself. And so I put all of me before you. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me where I have been a treacherous traitor to you in everything that I've done. Lord, I was one who would cry out Hosanna, but then a week later say, crucify him. Forgive me. Lord, here I am with all the junk and all my life and all the things I want to lean on and everything that I think that can help me. And instead, I put it at your feet and I say, Lord, for your glory, I'll do whatever you say. I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my relationships. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my heart. I trust you with my health. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my legacy. I trust you because you're better than life. I love you more than I love the things of this world. That's what trust looks like. And guess what? God is faithful. His steadfast love remains forever. And I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer, he'll come down and say, why are you holding on to this? You said you trust me, but this has got to go. And it feels not great sometimes. But his faithfulness and his salvation is not the same as our expectation. We think, oh, I prayed the prayer, everything's going to be perfect. Instead, the Lord says, yes, you're mine. I redeem you. I have you. I love you. I'm pouring my life into you. You have my spirit. You commune with me. And we're going to deal with all this stuff right now. Let's put all this to death. Oh, God. Don't touch that. Oh, Lord. Help. Oh, this is the devil. Get away from me, devil. He's coming against me and all these things that I have as idols. His salvation is not like our expectation. Trust him. He's good. Trust him with the full weight of who you are. Trust him that he is the one who cleanses us from sin. It's just him. Second thing that we do, if we walk in the light with him as sons of the light, we bear witness like Lazarus. Lazarus is one who went from death to life. And the very fact that he is alive bears witness to God and his power. The very fact, like Jackie told us today, that you have friends in the church. The very fact that you can be with people and not fighting all the time. The very fact that when you go places that you trust God and that looks like something that's tangible. The very fact that the first thing that you do is not run to your uh, self-help manual, but instead pray. It matters in your own testimony of your life and how you live, because the way that you trust God like you trust him with your whole weight on the chair, it comes out in everything you do. And guess what? God has made you a living testimony to bear witness to his life and his grace and his gospel and his salvation and his light and his truth and himself. And he exudes from us that we can bless other people. How good is that? And enables us, even through our failures, to be able to do all he's called us to do. So the first thing we need to do is trust him completely. The second thing we do is we bear witness to him. And the third thing we do is we proclaim the light. We proclaim the light. 
don't keep it, you know, you can't keep it hidden. I saw a picture a while back, and it, was, it shocked me because I never thought about it before. And the picture was a, somebody holding a match, and they, had, they were against the wall, and the shadow was there. And the match had the shadow of the guy's hand, and it had the little line for the stick of the match, and then there was no shadow for the light because the flame is light. It has no shadow. And it was so funny. I looked at it, and I thought, huh, I sort of expected there to be a shadow there. I don't know why. But it can't have a shadow. If you bear witness and proclaim the light, you can't have a shadow. And what I mean by that is this. Everywhere you go when you speak, the light's going to come out of you. Proclaim Jesus. Proclaim him. The Lord is using you. He's equipped you to bear witness to himself, but also to proclaim what the light looks like. That it's, it's just shocking to people when they realize, wow, that's him. Tell people the gospel. Tell them your story. I didn't know God. I was far away. I was a mess. And God saved me. And I'm telling you today, salvation comes through Jesus who died and rose again. Do you believe in him? And if the Holy Spirit touches somebody's heart, they will believe. And even like the people crying Hosanna, they won't even know why. They're just out there like, I just have to. And God gathers people to himself, and he uses you to do it. What a great honor and privilege we have. Isn't that amazing? So not only does our life bear witness to God, but what we say and do, what we actually proclaim about Jesus, telling people the gospel, is a mandate that we have. Why is that so important? Because that's why everybody came to this thing. People were bearing witness about Jesus and what he did with Lazarus. So much so that everybody gathered, we have to see him. Do people want to see Jesus because of your testimony? Do they want to come and be a part because of all the things you've told them about? And I know that feels like a big weight. But Jesus said it this way, if you don't know what to say in the moment, I'll give you the words. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Just be you and tell people about Jesus and what he's done for you, and God will use it. Let the weight fall off of you onto Jesus. He'll change people's hearts. Isn't that good? The Lord is good. He's faithful. So the three things we do is we believe in Jesus, trust him completely, like sitting in a chair. Bear witness to him through your life and through what you do, and walk in the light, knowing that you are children of the light. He is good. He is shining through you. I was at a parade one time, and uh, it was uh, one of those big parades, you know, that had an air show. Have you ever been to an air show? They're so cool. They're better than the Corvette clubs. And I was at this air show, and my, um, my uncle Paul was there, and at the time, my little nephew, he was just a little guy, was up on my uncle's shoulders. And so at the air show, we saw the parade. It was okay, you know. But now the airplanes came out, and they were so cool. And one of the first airplanes that came out was an F-18, a Hornet. And it was, man, it was a cool-looking plane. We could see it. It's way up there, you know. And the announcer guy goes, all right, everybody, don't blink. Here comes the Hornet. It's going to come past you. Not quite supersonic, but it's moving fast, so don't blink. And so we're, you know, and this plane, now, we were, like, way in the front, like, standing on the grass down at the, in the valley here in Chesterfield at the Spirit Airport. And um, my uncle had the boy up on his shoulders, AJ, my little nephew, and we're watching, you know, and the hornet goes, whoa, and flies past. And it was, I mean, it was, it was like, 
here to the camera. So close. It wasn't really that close, but it felt like that. And it just, it just like slid through the air silently. And my uncle goes, that was awesome. And as he starts saying awesome, the sound of the engines roaring behind shook everybody. My little nephew is screaming. It was so loud, people were literally falling over. And it was two seconds behind the aircraft because it was going so fast that the reverberation of it was behind. It was the coolest thing you would ever see. It was awesome. It was so great. This was a parade that did not disappoint. Sometimes in life, God's salvation does not meet our expectations. And we think that the sound of God's thunder speaking from heaven is going to be right in line with all the things that happen. And Nathan prophesied in Psalm 118 a thousand years before people use his same words to shout out that Jesus is the king. Sometimes God does things that reverberate with wondrousness like that hornet flying past that might be delayed a couple seconds. Don't lose heart. Stay encouraged. He's good. Believe in him. Trust in him. Bear witness to him. Let your life proclaim him because he will not disappoint. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. You are our life. Without you, without your sacrifice and resurrection, we have nothing. Father, thank you that you sent your son. Lord, our hearts are yours. We repent for any areas that we have not obeyed you. Lord, we lay our cares and concerns in front of you. Lord, they're so big and they feel so heavy. But Lord, you're the master of life. Lord, we want our lives to proclaim you. So Father, with all that we are, we just cry out, we trust you. We put our whole weight on you. Lord, we want to proclaim you. We want to bear witness to you. We want to honor you. And we know, oh great God, that you have already answered that prayer of Hosanna. You have saved us in your son. Thank you. Thank you. Continue, Lord. Continue. Hosanna, even in our day. Even now, continue, God. Save those neighbors and those family members that are wandering from you. Lord, save those people we know. Save those friends that you have brought to us. Lord, we look to you, God. We want to see your salvation everywhere. Lord, we want to see Jesus glorified, and we are so thankful, thankful that you are faithful to your word, your steadfast love, and never fails. Lord, we trust you. And so for every person here, Father, I pray that you would fill them with a new revelation of who you are, that they would see you, Lord, that they would, that they would bow the knee before you, that they would trust you like they trust the chair. Father, that every person would grasp onto you and never let go as you hold on to us. And Father, we thank you that it's not the strength of our muscles or the balance that we have that keeps us in you and in your will, but instead it's your hand. We trust you, God. We trust your plan. We trust your salvation. We trust your life. And so today I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know the calling of the Father, that you would help us to know the perfect love of the Son, and that you would help us to know the power of your Holy Spirit as you lead us and use us for your glory. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday for prayer. Fantastic time. And also we'll see you again on uh, Good Friday. Um, if you would like to volunteer to help with the children on Wednesday night, please give Suzanne a call or give me a call. Um, it would be a blessing to take one. There's six meetings, so one's already done, so there's five left. 
I told Suzanne she's only allowed to work in two of them. She's only allowed to be in two of them because I want her to pray with us. So if you'd like to help with the kids, please let me know, and we'll, uh, we'll work that out. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you all.